I'll just pray for him quickly. Lord, we just thank you so much that you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for people like Sam who will give his time and his uh, brain to learning more and more about your word. And I just pray as he preaches to us this morning, make us receptive, help us to hear what you're saying to us. Lord, would we be a people who live by your word? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. We all doing okay? Good. So we are continuing today in our series on 1 John. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam and I am the youth pastor here. Um, So I have the incredible privilege um, of spending a load of time with our young people and getting to know them and talking a lot about Jesus and having a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to move this because I'm a wanderer, so I'm going to hit it otherwise. Um, so yeah, so we, so that, that's what I do, and I also get to come and to do this, which is really exciting. So does everyone want to turn in their Bibles, if you have them, to 1 John chapter 2, and it's going to be verses 18 to 27. It is going to go up on the screen behind me, um, but just as we, as we get into this, um, I just want to say that one of our, our our points of culture, one of the things that we stand for here as a church at Christ Church is that we are Bible-based, okay? So we believe that this, this word that we are about to read is the authority over our lives. It is what guides our ethics, our principles, and our lives, and it is revealed, God, God reveals himself through this word to us. Now, one of the reasons why I'm saying this is that this passage that we are about to read is a warning passage, Okay? And not only is it a warning passage, it's got some words in it that may seem slightly weird, or, and, and as we go through it, it might seem a little bit daunting and things like that. However, one of the incredible things about working through a book like 1 John, One John is you get to see all that God is revealing through, the, through his word. And we get the privilege of sitting underneath that this morning. And there is a beauty and a depth to this, which I feel like we're going to be encouraged by, and probably not a little bit, probably quite a lot challenged by in our lives. At least it has been for me, as I've been preparing it as well. So let's read together. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as, ha- as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the first thing, I think the place that we want to start, the place where John starts this morning, is this concept that we are in the last hour. 
Okay, so this is where John starts with this, that we are in the last hour. Okay, elsewhere in the New Testament, this is called loads of different things, the last times, the end times. But basically, John is saying that the period of, of time that we are living in is called the last hour. And the reason for that is because the, we are in this period of time in between Jesus dying and rising again and Jesus coming back. And the reason why that's the last hour or the last times is there is no other point to be made in Jesus' salvation plan, okay? So whilst God will work and move amongst us in this time frame, there is not another point that he's going to do. When Jesus returns, that's it, okay? So if you are a Marvel fan out there, we're in the end game. And if you're not a Marvel fan, that means nothing is absolutely fine. But we are in this last phase, okay, this last phase of time before Jesus comes back, and then there will be an eternity where it is done, it is finished, and it is accomplished. And the New Testament is really clear, so people like John and Jesus and Paul, and the, a low, the New Testament is abundantly clear that in this period of time, the church is going to face opposition, it's going to face persecution, it's going to face oppression, and that the church will go through suffering. They quite literally guarantee it for those who are obedient to Jesus. They quite literally guarantee that the church will face opposition and persecution and go through suffering in this time. And in this opposition, there's going to be many who seek to lead believers away from Christ, to deceive them away from the truth. And this is precisely the situation that John is speaking into. Because in verse 19, we read that there is this group of people that have gone out from the church that John is speaking to. It's likely to have been Ephesus or around Ephesus in that area, um, which is like modern-day Turkey. Okay, And John is saying that the way that they went out has proven that they were never truly believers. They never truly believed the gospel. And the word that he gives these people in verse 18 is the word antichrists. Um, now, if you've ever watched a horror movie and it's got the word antichrist in it, you know it's like the most evil thing ever, um, and it's like it's a really big deal. But the thing with this is that's not the, the word antichrists that he's talking about in verse 18. So basically what he's talking about in verse 18 is that there are these people who are anti, against, in opposition to, in denial of Jesus. So in this sense, these people that have gone out from this church are the evidence of what the whole New Testament writers have been talking about. They are people who are opposing Jesus. They're in denial of who Jesus has said he is. They are opposing him completely. They are trying to deceive people by leading them away from the truth into lies. Now, John also does men mention the big antichrist. Okay, So he says there are these little antichrists, and then there is the antichrist. And he links the two. And he doesn't actually go into a great deal of detail about who this antichrist is figure is, okay? But in other places in the New Testament, so places like 1 Thessalonians and Romans and in Revelation, they go into greater detail of this. Really simply put, the big antichrist is a literal figure who at the end of time, just before Jesus comes back, will come forward and given, the, by, given power by Satan, will perform miracles and deceive everyone but the true believers that he is God, Okay? 
There is a literal figure coming at the end of time, just before Jesus comes back. And this is what, so in 1 Thessalonians, it's called the man of lawlessness. And it, 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 there's different names and titles, but that, that's where it's going. Okay. Um, now, we don't need to worry about that because we would know if he was here at this moment. Okay, and that's, that's abundantly clear, partly because everyone would be believing that he was God and they would, he would be doing miracles and signs that would be leading people to believe that. Okay? So in that sense, we can be pretty darn sure it's not the Pope and it's not the European Union and it's not Donald Trump. Um, can we just say that just categorically, just dispel those lies first and foremost? Okay? But the reason why John mentions this figure, and if you want to know more detail about this figure, if that's a bit confusing for you, we did a sermon series a while back on Revelation. And so on the sermons that we did on Revelation chapters 11 to 13, there's loads more detail there. So go there and that, that, that will reveal more. But the reason why John mentions this antichrist figure, the big one, the one who's coming at the end, is that there is something about what these antichrists, little antichrists, are doing which is similar and pointed towards. It's of the same spirit of what the Antichrist is coming to do. And that namely, that they are rebelling against God and leading people away from the truth. They're leading people away from Jesus. Okay? So there is an Antichrist who's coming that we don't need to be concerned about because John's not concerned about him right now in this passage. But the Antichrists have come and are here who in the same spirit are rebelling against God, are in opposition to Jesus and are trying to lead his people away from the truth. And before I move on, I do just want to clarify something. If you are here this morning and you are genuinely seeking, okay, by what I mean is if you are here this morning and you're just trying to figure out what on earth all this God stuff is about, or if you're just trying to figure out who this Jesus figure is that you've heard a bit about, or if this is the morning that your friend has invited you to church, I apologize, um, basically, this isn't you. I want to be abundantly clear. If you are sitting here and you are wrestling with doubts and fears and some worries and concerns and you're just trying to figure it out, no one here is calling you an antichrist. No one is going to attack you or anything like that. That is a, the opposite of what we're saying, okay? If you are here and you've got doubts and fears or you're just seeking or you're just trying to figure this stuff out, please come and chat to us. We love you. We are so glad that you're here and you're with us. And it's just worth saying that who we're talking about, we're not talking about you. Okay, if you're here with genuine questions, genuinely trying to figure this stuff out, you are so welcome, and this is not you. And the way we know that is because it's clear that this, these antichrists, as John is describing them, are people who are deliberately, purposefully, often harshly, and militantly opposing Jesus and the truth about Jesus. Okay? So, if you are just seeking or asking questions this morning, this is not you even a little bit. Okay, just to be assured, if you're sitting there this morning going, oh my goodness, you know, someone's going to say something to me. It's not, it's not you, if you're just here genuinely seeking this morning. So the question arises, what makes an antichrist? What were they teaching for John to say this? Okay, and so we want to just get into this. We don't know exact things, okay? There's not masses of detail. So I'm not going to be able to tell you what exactly they were saying that has caused John to go, they are antichrist, don't listen to this stuff, okay? What, they, what potentially some scholars think was going on is that John was, fate, was kind of coming against this firm, form of early Gnosticism, okay? 
Massive word, there's been lots of big words, I apologize, but hopefully I'm explaining them. Gnosticism is basically the belief that salvation comes from a personal knowledge which you find in yourself, okay? So salvation comes from a, a divine nature in your soul that you discover about yourself. Does it sound familiar? Sounds a lot familiar to me. Now, we can't be certain that is the case, that John is saying there are these people who are here and they're teaching that you need to ignore Jesus or what you really need is Jesus plus kind of finding this within you, this true knowledge in yourself that only I can teach you. It may not be that that was what was going on, but it is helpful for us to look at how this applies to us in a moment if that sort of thing is what's going on. What John does say, however, is some basic general things that they were teaching that shows that they were anti-Christ. They were in opposition to, in denial of, against Jesus. Okay, he's very clear about them. The first one is this. They're saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. Okay? Jesus is not the Messiah. And the second one is they're saying that Jesus is not the Son of God. That if there is anyone teaching or saying those things, they are in opposition to Jesus. They're in opposition to the truth, and in fact, John calls them a liar. They are denying the fundamental truths which underpin the entire Christian faith. Without those truths, we do not have a faith. Without those truths, we do not have a hope. Without those truths, there is absolutely no point in being here on a, sun, a Sunday morning. Okay? They are denying that Jesus is the Messiah. They're saying he is not the promised and much-anticipated Savior. He's not the son of David. He is not the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's most certainly not the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He's not the second Adam. He's not our representative who's paid the price for us to be made right with God. He's not our great high priest who's risen again and seated at the right hand of God. And he's not the son of God. He is not Emmanuel. He's not God with us that we celebrate at Christmas. He's not the eternal son of God. He's not God become flesh dwelling with us. He's not the creator. He is created. Okay? And those truths are everywhere. Okay? Those truths are everywhere. So Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he's the Son of God. They believe that he is created, okay? There are so many truths out there that are like that. And if Jesus is not all of those things, what's clearly being said about Jesus is that Jesus is a liar, and everyone here and about one billion other people in the world right now are completely deceived, that we are completely deceived. So much of the world lives in opposition to Jesus in this way, doesn't it? We hear things all the time, don't we, like, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. His disciples blew it out of proportion. Jesus is made up. No one can rise from the dead. That is fairy tale stuff. All roads lead to God. Jesus is one God amongst many. The truth is inside of ourselves. My truth is my truth, and that's great for you, but it's not true for me. There is no God. I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. I connect with God in my own way. I'm a Christian. I don't go to church or read my Bible or pray, really, unless I want something or I'm in trouble. Um, and I don't obey, really, what Jesus said, but I'm a Christian. 
And then there's this one, isn't there? Cut all toxic people out of your life. If someone disagrees with you, get rid of them. Cut them out of your life. They are not worth having around. Now, hear me when I say that I'm not attacking or taking the mick out of any of those points of view. When I chat with people about that, and when we chat with people about that, and we, you know, a lot of us are engaging in those kind of conversations on a regular basis, the example of Jesus and the command of God in the Bible from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is really, really clear. It says that whenever we give a reason for our faith, for our belief, we're to do it with gentleness and respect. That the people who are talking to us are made in the image of God, and Jesus came and died for them. We don't attack people and are harsh with people. We don't talk about, you know, hold signs and placards that say turn or burn and all these silly things that people think they're doing that's communicating truth because that's not the way Jesus does it. It's not the way the Bible tells us to do it. What I am saying, though, is that these things should never creep into the church. So when people start saying things like, I found this whole new perspective that we have never seen before on God, or things like, well, Jesus didn't really mean that when he said it, did he? It just doesn't work with our modern society. We have moved on. It's just so intolerant. Warning flags should start to go up warning flag should start to go up that maybe this isn't the truth and maybe we are trying that people are trying to deceive us a friend of mine i saw yesterday on facebook shared a link to this book um but written by a guy called steve chalk and it was the lost message of paul and the book stated why have we been misreading paul so wrong for so long and we would disagree with steve chalk on a lot of things but that sense of Hey, there's this new way of reading the Bible that no one has ever seen before, but I've seen it. I've seen it. It's that sort of stuff we need to be careful of, okay? And hey, Martin Luther, who we hold up as one of our hero, heroes, who you know, years and you know, years and years ago started the Protestant Reformation, nailed some things on a door, and started kicked off this whole thing that got everyone reading the Bible again and all this sort of stuff. Hey, that guy at one point suddenly said, "You're reading Paul wrong." But he did it by pointing towards truth. He did it by getting people back to the gospel and bringing people to Jesus. So there's always a lens and a filter through which we should see those things. To say things that oppose Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God, as he has revealed himself to be, is to condemn yourself and others to a life and an eternity of despair of hopelessness and separation from God. John is really clear in verse 23 that whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Jesus in John, John's Gospel in John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is just biblical, historic, orthodox Christianity. This is what the church has always believed. This is what Jesus taught. This is what the Bible says. And before we move on and get to some good news, I just want to maybe have a bit of real talk for a minute, and that's, this is really hard, right? Like, this is really hard. Like, throughout our whole weeks, we just get this 
barrage of things from our works and from our school and from our friends and from our family and from social media and TV and films and music and books and literature and politicians and celebrities. From every perceivable angle, we get thrown this stuff that stands opposed to Jesus. And it's so hard to just remain in in what is true. We just need to be real and honest about the fact that this is hard. There are many things out there that are trying to deceive us away from stuff that is true. You know, for me, in my own life, like, I feel this pull. Like, as I chat to my mates and, and I chat to young people on a Friday night and in school and things like that, and as I consume media and television and things like that, which shows a vision of life and truth that is contrary to what the Bible has said, I catch myself almost going along with the thinking. And I have to remind myself of what is true. You know, and for me, more than anything, as I'm sure it is for some of you, this lands with the whole idea of the Christian sexual ethic. So what the Christian ethic is on sex and sexuality and gender, like so much, this is so hard, I feel this immense pressure to deny what God has said is true and good and life-giving and to give in to what everyone else is saying. There is such a pressure to do that. There is such a pressure to do that. But Jesus has said there is a way that leads to life, and it is through following him. And I just want to just give a really practical word to parents here. Like I'm, I'm a young dad, okay? I've, I've had my little girl for a year and a half. I'm not an experienced parent. Just let's put that out there very quickly. However, having been a parent, having hung out with young people, having been in the school system, I can tell you that young people and children get this more than any other people. It is relentlessly pushed upon them, relentlessly driven through them. They are taught this nonstop through every single possible avenue into their lives. And parents, if we are here and we know the truth but refuse to speak to it, to engage with the lies, then I can tell you this. Your children, aside from a work of God and the Holy Spirit, will be deceived. We need to be having conversations. And young people sitting in here listen to this as well. You guys know this, right? You know this more than us, actually. A lot of adults, you know this a lot more, how much it's put on you. And you guys need to know that if you are not grounding yourself in the truth of who Jesus is, you will be deceived. Now, as hard as it is to believe... I don't think John's letter here seems to convey any sense of panic or fear or nervousness. So if you are sitting there right now feeling slightly daunted, a little bit nervous, a little bit twitchy and wish that you hadn't come, it's okay, but John is confident. And I'm going to explain why I think we too should share in John's confidence. You see, John has met the risen Jesus. So John is actually one of the first people to Jesus' tomb after the women. Okay? John outruns old Peter and gets there first. Okay? He's met the risen Jesus. John was there at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come upon him and he has been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
John has been around the world seeing Jesus open people's eyes to the truth and the beauty of Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, so have you. You have met the risen Jesus. He's opened your eyes in faith to his glory and saved you of your sins. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit, and I'm hoping that if he hasn't already, he will soon show, start revealing to other people that you're speaking about Jesus to, himself. That you'll start seeing other people see what you have seen. And the basis for John's confidence for this comes in verse 20. First thing he says is this, but you... And I think those are two of the most comforting words that we could hear this morning. John has just laid out this idea of antichrists and all of this sort of stuff. He's laid out the fact that they are liars and deceiving people and they are away from truth. But you. But you who are the church, you who are believers, you are here. There is such a stark contrast between the two. John doesn't say we're two sides of the same coin. We're not yin and yang battling one another. We're not opposing teams. They are antichrist. They are lost. They are deceived. And then there's you. Then there's you. And you are anointed by the Holy One. Verse 20. And by the Holy One, John means Holy Spirit. John's confidence is this. You, believer, here this morning have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, why that should give us confidence is Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and anointed him for the work of ministry that he was going to do. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus has anointed you. I'm going to say that again. The same spirit that anointed Jesus has anointed you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. Are you feeling confident yet? Are you feeling powerful? If not, why not? For every believer, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place of God on earth. That means that when someone wants to know what the presence, where the presence of God is, when someone wants to meet and encounter God, they don't go to a building, they don't go to the ordained, they go to you. You are the presence of God here on earth. You are the meeting place between God and people on this earth. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we get to know and experience, experience that we are eternally loved, that we are fully accepted, that we are cherished and adored and rejoiced 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says that the will of God for your life, the will of God for your life is for you to become like Jesus. And the job that the Holy Spirit gets is to make us like Jesus. 
every day of your life, from the moment you become a Christian to the moment either you return to him or he returns to us, the Holy Spirit is making you like Jesus. Every day, shaping you, helping you become more confident like him, to become more like him. Are we confident yet? I am. I've got every confidence. Paul, in the, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, says that he's confident for the church that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion when he returns. All those that believe in him, it is abundantly clear that Jesus is going to carry on that work through the Spirit in your life, making you like him, shaping you into him, and helping you to know the truth until he comes back. The second reason for John's confidence and ours, is that we all have knowledge. So that's again verse 20. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit. We all have knowledge. And what is that knowledge? It's the knowledge of Jesus, right? Knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of what he has done on the cross, and the knowledge of what that means for us. We all have that. That is not a specific knowledge for a specific group of people. Okay? There's not tears who get more knowledge as they go up. When you're anointed by the Spirit, the knowledge of Jesus comes and lives within you. You know Jesus. We all have that. And as a result of this, and these, this is, we're just going to work through verses 23, 24, and 25 now, that as a result of this, of being anointed by the Spirit, having that knowledge of who Jesus is, and declaring, confessing, and saying, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Confessing means you say it. You can't just say it in your heart. You say it. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Not just with our mouths, but with our actions. Jesus is the Lord of my life. We've received the Holy Spirit. We have the knowledge of who he is and what he's done. And we confess with our mouths that he is Lord of our lives. And the result is we get to just enjoy God. Yeah? So that God comes and does all this for us in Jesus by the Spirit, and then we just get to enjoy him. The way that John phrases it, he talks about abiding he says that we abide in the Father and the Son. Abide is this the word, we don't really use it, but it means to remain in, to experience this eternal, loving embrace of the Father and the Son. And as we do that, every day just get to experience this eternal embrace of the Father and the Son, that we abide in that and remain in his love, in what he has done for us through Jesus, that we get to see the promise to us which verse 25 says is eternal life. Man, should we be confident. Jesus has come. Jesus has made a way. By his anointedness, by his spirit, we have the knowledge of Jesus. We confess him and abide in his presence up until the point where he comes and returns, makes all things new, and we just dwell in the same way in total fulfillment for all eternity. For all eternity. But it's not just passive participation, okay, that we play a part in this. God doesn't do puppets, he has children, okay? God doesn't do it so like he's, he's manipulating the strings and so like, you know, you kind of just move as he does it. We're children. We're given a part to play, to contribute to our relationship with him and his purposes on this earth. And we do this in a couple of ways, as John would tell us. 
In verse 24, it says this. Let what you heard in the beginning abide in you. Okay, this is our part. Our part that we play in this. Let what you heard in the beginning abide in you. The assurance that we have that these things will continue to remain true for us is as we consistently, constantly, joyfully, in awe, keep coming back to the gospel. Keep coming back to who Jesus is and what he's done. As we marvel and wonder and stand firm in all that Jesus has done, as we continue to drink from this inexhaustible, all-satisfying well of the gospel, the one for all time sacrificed for sins by Jesus on the cross, this fellowship we have with God, the, the life that is to come, as we don't go chasing after anything else that offers happiness or glory or the real way to God, we don't go chasing after our own truth or anything else, but as we just go to this world, to the gospel, as we just keep abiding in it and remaining in it, as we keep coming back to it and plumbing the depths of it and seeing how it works in every area of our lives, we see time and time and time and time again, this is the only truth. There is nothing truer than this. There is no other truth than this. Who God is, what he has done in Christ, there's no other truth. And this has been my experience that as I continue to see that all of the Bible points towards Jesus, that all things that God does points towards what Jesus has done and is doing and will do when he returns, I just get to see more and more of what truth is, more and more what the gospel is. And if you don't want to take my word from it, my encouragement to you this morning is find someone here who's been walking with God 40, 50, 60 years of their life and ask them. Ask them. Ask them that for them is the gospel still an inexhaustible well of life and truth and hope and goodness. And I know the answer to that question. But if you don't want to take my word for it, please, please do take that as an opportunity. Go and find someone who's been following Jesus for years and years and years and years and years, and you ask them, is this still an inexhaustible well for them? This abiding doesn't happen by accident, though. It happens as we do the things that remind us and keep us in the gospel. It's why we've done communion, right? We keep ourselves in the truth. We don't move on from that. We don't go, oh, well, here's, you know, Jesus died, and we're kind of going to remember that once when we get saved, and then we're going to move on to the real truth. No. Every time we do communion, we're reminding ourselves of the same truth, that Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross, that Jesus' blood was poured out as a new covenant so that we could be one with God. Again and again and again, we take communion, reminding ourselves of this same truth to abide in what we heard from the beginning. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we read the Bible. Can I just say, brothers and sisters, that if we're in a world that is trying to deceive us and lead us away from God, and the Bible is the truth that is revealing God to us by the Spirit, and we ignore this, how much more likely are we then to be deceived? I'm not taken away from the fact that this can be hard to get to grips with. I'm not taken away from that. 
if you find it hard to get to grips with the Bible, you are not alone. In fact, you'll probably one amongst almost everyone. Okay? But if this is the truth, and we have opposition that is seeking to draw us away from him, and yet we deny this, we don't get into it, how are we going to know what's true? And there are plenty of resources, many. I could give you four or five books right off the top of my head that will help you start to engage with this and the gospel in this, okay? In a really easy way. And this is why if you really do struggle and you're not sure how to get into it, grab someone. So you know the Bible, help me, help me understand and get to grips with the truth in this word. This is why we get into life groups, right? This is why we come to church, is so that we can remember and abide in what is true, in what Jesus has done and is doing and is coming to do for us. It's why we listen to good worship songs. It's why we read good books about Jesus. It's why we saturate our lives with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to remember the truth of who Jesus is, of what he's done. We just abide in the gospel, abide in the truth. And the second thing that we do, the part that we play it's this. Verse 27 says, The anointing that you've received from him, the Holy Spirit, abides in you. And later on it says, So abide in him. That we need to remain and be connected to and experience life in the Spirit. So John, Jesus, in John chapter 11, says the way that we are to worship is in spirit and in truth. Okay? Now the whole point of this this. this atmosphere of spirit and truth is not that you have the spirit and then the truth, but it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth, and you know it's the spirit because it's in line with the truth. We worship God in spirit and in truth because the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals truth to us, and we know it's the spirit working and moving in our lives because it's in line with the truth. It gives us confidence and assurance that we can be dwelling regularly with the spirit. And this is what the, this comment about not being taught is all about. Had, you know, Jacob, I was chatting to Jacob earlier in the week, and I was, he, he, was, he was around church, and I said to him, um, I said to him, listen, I'm talking about antichrists. I don't think, I'm, I want to make sure people actually get it. Like, can you, can you kind of just listen to what I have to say and, and help me, under, you know, help, basically tell me if I'm completely off the mark. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that all makes sense. Does that mean I don't have to, school, have to go to school, though, because I, I don't need teachers? I was like, it's a clever remark, but no. Um, the point being that teachers, we don't, need, we don't need any more teaching other than the gospel. We don't need any other truth other than what Jesus has already done. And this is what the Holy Spirit reveals to us, that as we abide in him, we get Jesus and we get knowledge of Jesus. And we get to dwell with the presence of God through the Spirit. So just as our lives are to be saturated with the gospel, so they are to be saturated with the Spirit. That we are to be filled with the Spirit. That we are to know the Spirit in our lives. Because as we're filled with the Spirit, as it says in Acts 1, we're given confidence and boldness to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit gives us gifts so that we can build up the church and witness to others. That there is an active participation that we play in saying, Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit. We want to abide in your spirit and remain in, remain in your spirit, come to your spirit, encounter your spirit, so that we can build up the church, so that we can be a witness to those around us. 
And part of that is signs and wonders. Part of that is being able to see things like healings and, and have words of knowledge and prophesy and see the miraculous break out as we encounter and are filled with the Spirit. And this is supposed to be a daily thing, a daily filling, a daily encounter with him. It's not, it's not just for when we feel low. It's not just for when we're struggling. It's not just for when we're at New Day or the Catalyst Festival or when Terry Virgo or Steve Braiding preach. That's not, it's not even just for Sundays. We're supposed to be saturated with the Spirit, that we know the truth and stay in the truth as we abide in the gospel, the truth, as we abide in his presence by the Spirit, as we are filled and come to him as the source of our life, as the source of our strength, as the source of our hope. We should all be seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day, that we can abide in his presence and reveal his presence to the world around us. I'll finish with the words of John from verses 24 and 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Let's pray. And just as I pray, I just want to invite the band up. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done in Jesus. <laughs> Lord, we just want to thank you so much for what you have done in Jesus. Lord, we know that there is no other truth than who you are, Lord, that you are what is true and everything else is a lie. Lord, would you help us? Like, we feel the pull. Lord, we feel it, Lord, this pull to, to be deceived, to lead us away from what we know is true in you. Lord, help us by your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to abide in the gospel, to encourage one another and stir one another up to this. Lord, we need you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we know and trust and are confident that you are going to keep working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.